0: Welcome! Welcome! The Champions for NorCal Kids, a podcast designed to highlight the great champions and work of the youngest members of our community in Northern California. Join
1: us, First Five Shasta Director Wendy Dickens, and First Five Tahama Director Heidi Mendenhall as we discuss topics that are focused on children ages zero to five and of course their families.
0: Our goal is to inspire, empower, and cultivate a sense of community filled with hope and connection. Hey,
1: Heidi, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. Thanks for asking, Wendy. Excited to be here today to dig into trauma-informed care. What does that mean? We hear so much about it, right? Yes, it's true. And it's really, um, you know, it's it's not just the education sector. It's not just the mental health sector, behavioral health sector, but you really are starting to hear the word trauma-informed care in Almost, I mean, even the business sector, really, in workforce development.
0: Right. And how that really affects your employees and their families. And what that means as, you know, somebody who's just in the community, right? Like going to the grocery store, why you kind of need to know what, you know, it looks like how to handle trauma, that sort of piece. And just knowing that everyone's coming from a different place when they come into any kind of situation and that you don't know what their days looked like. Right. So it all plays in together and has like the scaffolding kind of effect or domino effect or however you want to verbiage it. But it's definitely something that is coming up a lot more often in conversations unrelated to therapeutic conversations. Right. Yeah. And
1: so, um, You know if you do a google if you google search you know trauma-informed care you're probably going to get a few answers one of them being through the lens of um, a medical provider right and and one of them being through the lens of education Um, but at its core trauma-informed care is the idea that we number one relate on an n equals one right like so every it's you can't apply One size does not fit all, but each individual is different. And understanding where that individual is coming from and what experiences they've had to land them in the place that they are is important to recognize. And that's true if you're talking to your best friend, your husband, your neighbor,
0: your social worker, your therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think, you know, the other part that encompasses all of that is, you know, really being, you know, coming from a place where you are presenting as kindful um, and respectful right like so you know respect and kindness regardless of what that person may or may not have said to you right like so being trauma-informed means that you look at the trauma they may have experienced that you take that into consideration does that give them permission to behave however they want no but it can give you some empathy and you shouldn't respond back in a manner that's going to only mirror them because if you respond In a more appropriate way, you're going to get a better reaction from them because they may start to mirror you instead, right? Um, Once they get back into their, you know, frontal lobe instead of their brainstem. But that's a whole other conversation. Trauma informed, definitely, you know, if you look it up and you look under SAMSHA's, which is behavioral health, and you also, you know, it talks about the prevalence of adverse. Childhood experiences, knowing that we've talked a lot about ACEs. It also talks about behaviors and symptoms that are related to the traumatic experiences that could be community wide, much like pandemic issues or fires. If you're in an area where there's it's ravaged by fires, but in other parts of the country where there's hurricanes that devastate things, where there's, you know, earthquakes, all of those other pieces, right? And then recognizing that being treated with kindness and respect. You know then begins making someone feel empowered to have a better relationship with their community so you're right like ha- if you google it you're going to get lots of different but they all kind of have similar vantage points right like similar ideas around knowing and understanding trauma Right,
1: and the realization that the, this that experiences build who we are <clears throat> and that we all come from that we all come to this conversation or to this place holding our experiences and we will see those play out in how we react and respond and there's a responsibility of the of you in a part of that conversation to one recognize that the other person engaged in this interaction may have different experiences that are very true for them that may be very not true for you and so being able to hold that space and hear that as truth and hear those experiences as truth also knowing that maybe that's not your experience, right? So it doesn't have to be an either or, but that those, the realization that those um, things that have happened to us as we've grown develop our our brain pathways, and two, the responsibility that we don't want to re-traumatize in this interaction. And so often if our experiences are that the world doesn't give me what I need and that I am non-heard and you, this person comes with those realizations of that, I'm never going to be heard, and I'm never going to get my needs met, and they might come very strong and very attacking, it is so easy for us to then engage with, yep, yeah, you're right, not going to meet your needs, because I'm not going to let you yell at me, and I will not engage that, and I will not listen to you, and then we've just essentially re-traumatized and re that pathway, but instead, if you come with the understanding that this is a part of who they are and I'm gonna set my boundaries and say, we're not gonna yell, I'm not gonna engage this yelling. Now, what else can we do to help you? Then you're able to start moving beyond what has already happened and developing this plan of care or plan of support or interaction that is taking into consideration the trauma that has happened, but not staying there, moving past it.
0: I think that's so important. Like recognizing that boundaries with People are important that you don't deserve as an individual, regardless to be yelled at or to have um, them demean you in any way. But, But recognizing they're coming from a certain place and being able to say to them, I am here to help you but I'm not going to have a screaming and yelling and I'm not going to, you know, so what can we do? Let's take some deep breaths. How can I help you? I can't help you right now because we can't find solutions when we're not listening or hearing each other. So, you know, let's take a minute, let's take a pause, um, which is perfectly appropriate for you to do as, because otherwise you're you, if you've had trauma may also get triggered. And before you know it, you are in kind of more of a struggle as opposed to a helpful situation. And when you're trauma informed, you kind of recognize your own things that trigger you so that you can be prepared and recognizing that they're coming from a place of, you know, likely trauma. And knowing you don't have to know all their ins and outs, that's not what trauma-informed means either. It doesn't mean necessarily know their whole life history and that every traumatic event is yours to know. It just means that you know that their behavior was triggered most likely by a traumatic event. And the more respect we can show, the more respect that's going to get infused into the community and they're going to feel empowered by the respect that you show, you know, one of the things that when I worked in child welfare, I heard over and over again, when there were successful things, both as, or as a social worker, as a supervisor, and as a program manager was this idea that, you know what? I was best helped because they worked through me or they worked with me through that anger area, through that trauma that I had been experiencing. And I wasn't always nice. I wasn't always like pleasant but it's not important that they are, if you're trying to help them, if you're in the position of helping them. And, and, and I get it's harder as a you know preschool teacher sometimes, because you're just trying to help the parent understand how to help their child. And you think you're just being helpful, but they get triggered. Um, and part of that could be their own trauma. You didn't know it and you may never know it, but really understanding that's where they're coming from and then saying, you know, I just want to help. And how can I help you understand, you know, I have a lot of, you know, information that could be of assistance to you and your child. You can take it or leave it. Like, it's not like you have to do these things. I'm just letting you know this is available.
1: Yeah, and so so really, I mean, what we just talked about then is it's a, for, first and foremost, a relationships-based strategy, right? And then the idea of understanding that something we say or do may re-trigger and re-traumatize, right, and holding that. And then the third thing that you referenced, and I think is... Um, depending on who you talk to, this may, may or may not be the make or break of the whole component is being able to hold your own truth, your own trauma, being able to recognize what may or may not be triggering for yourself. Um, for me, this has been hugely helpful in understanding why sometimes I am so eager to help and fix and less eager to stand back and listen in different, in different scenarios and situations. And That is that parallel that's constantly happening as an agency, a teacher, a social worker, a a group of people are developing these trauma-informed practices and skills that that we have to each individually hold, which is, I mean, that's the hard
0: work, right? (laughs) It's so hard sometimes, right? We we get into these professions to be helpers a lot of times, right? We want to teach, right? Or we want to help. Or we want to, you know, provide people with opportunities and then our own stuff gets in the way. And many times we think we have to give them the solutions. Um, And so there's some things like motivational interviewing, which even as a teacher or a care provider or a social worker or a clinician or a doctor, you can use to help your, you know, person that you're working with figure out their own solutions. There's also solution focused interviewing, which are similar, but different. Um, and so those are techniques that really take you listening and, and not just empathic listening, not just active listening, but really honestly doing both empathic and active listening and not speaking like, which can be really, really hard for some of us. I know I can have that hardness. It is sometimes a struggle because you have all these things right in your head, like, oh, they could do blah, or there's this, or, oh, there's that. It's true. It's the,
1: the listening is so, so hard. I've, I actually just got an email this morning from uh, Dr. Siegel's group, Daniel Siegel, who wrote The Whole Brain Child and I'm on their emailing list. So it was a invitation to um, mindful presence and listening
0: uh, and series. And I was like, oh, that sounds hard. <laughs> that was my initial thought, right? Like, and I teach that center for mind, body, medicine techniques. And one of the things around meditation is really quieting your brain, which is what listening really has to do, right? Like if you're really actively listening, you have to quiet your brain because otherwise you're not really focusing on what they're saying. You're focusing on what you think you need to say next. That's not active listening.
1: Yeah. That's listening
0: for response. And there is a differentiation that people don't understand. They're like, oh, I was listening. I could tell you everything they said that is different than actively listening and letting it sink in. And so sometimes I do have longer pauses after a conversation because I'm, I haven't been thinking for an answer or a response. I've been thinking to really hear what they're saying so it can sink in. And that way I can really identify what they were saying to me. And sometimes I have to repeat it back to make sure I got it correctly. Right. And that's part of active listening too. But really sometimes what we're doing is thinking for, or we're listening for a response, not active listening. We're not, just sitting quiet and listening with what intently are they saying to us? Because sometimes when you do that, you see other things that they're actually not saying with the words, but with their other pieces of of communication, right?
1: Yeah. I was just sitting here thinking of, um, I, my brother-in-law's name's Kendall. He's a nurse and he, like, he has so found his calling as a nurse. He is just so empathetic and nurturing and also two hours late everywhere but work. because oh, he's. But I was surprised. thinking about it as in like, he, he has slow responses, he kind of has big pauses and he is also the most present human in, right? Like he is not anywhere else but where he is, which is what causes him to be late much of the time <laughs> because he's so engaged. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I think he's probably that's been a characteristic that has actually been looked at negatively for him over his life, but oh, surely really, Because he's
0: late and that's yeah. right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's so, you know, I think, I wonder what we can do to flip our minds when we're thinking through this trauma-informed care and, and what we've been taught and how to handle ourselves in professional settings and just asking ourselves, like, is this really a trauma-informed practice? And am, am I holding space for the time to think in meetings, the
0: time to respond or to go off track if needed? I think that's such a great point. And what you, when you said that, what I started to think about was when you asked that question, when I worked in child welfare, I was thinking about the fact that people sometimes didn't appreciate when clients were late, they would come a half an hour. And I get that. Like we have very school, you know, you have as a professional in any arena, things you've got to get done. You have places you have to be as well, you have meetings that you've got scheduled. And so sometimes you can't you know, create leniency within your own schedule for that person. However, sometimes it would be like, oh, you were a half an hour late, I'm sorry, there's no you know, helping you at this point. And there is something to being said for the kids, like if it was a visitation, like we can't be late for the kids because that's too hard on them. They can't wait that long in this office for you to come. However, if it was like a case planning meeting or some other kind of thing, where you could show some leniency and have a conversation with them. Like, I respect that you, you know, had bus problems or that you were just having a difficult enough time getting here and honoring the fact that they actually even made it in at all, even if it was late, you know, sometimes that wasn't given. And and I hear this old adage that, you know, we have to give people consequences and that if we don't give them consequences, they're never gonna learn. And I would not disagree that consequences are important for learning, but I would disagree that when you're thinking about it from a trauma lens, not everything has to have a consequence the same way. And, Sometimes we have to be a little bit more flexible in the beginning of something when we're first developing a relationship with a person so that we can get to the crux of why that might be the thing that's happening to them. And until we really truly understand it and in true, then we can you know, help them navigate through that, we're not giving them a consequence that's going to make any sense, nor is it going to be helpful. It isn't going to teach them what they really feel is necessary, um, to helping get through whatever event or to the end point we want them to get to. Um, so, you know, and then it goes back to me when I'm thinking about all of it, like discipline in particular, that becomes a huge hot button topic when you're talking about, you know, boundaries and discipline and consequences. Um, and I would, again, go back to trauma-informed practice, even within that, right? Like, are you wanting the person to learn from a place of learning Um, or are you just wanting to provide a harsh consequence because you think that they deserve to be punished? What is your true end in this? Is it punishment or is it learning? And I think that's the part for me where as a society, I think we have to have rules. We have to have people who help enforce those rules, but we also have to have things that help people get past whatever deficiency they have that's you know if you're stealing because your kids are hungry as opposed to because you're just a thief that there's those are two different situations right and if you're using drugs then sending you to prison probably isn't going to help you because they don't necessarily have drug treatment within the prison facilities is a drug treatment going to be better for you so it like goes that's a trauma informed lens right it's looking at it okay they can't why are they even using drugs Like what got them to that? what happened to you? What happened to you to get to you this point in life? Not what's wrong with you.
1: around what is our goal, right? Like if your goal is to change behavior, then we want to do it through through what we know, which we know that a trauma-informed lens, considering what your past experiences are, then we can better find what's going to help change your behavior. Cause then we know what we're gonna point at. Like you're saying, what got you here, right? I think that it's
0: just so important that we ask ourselves, what's our goal? Mm-hmm. What's our goal? And asking people again, I'll go back and we said it a couple different times and are, you know, probably more than a couple, probably ad nauseum people, are <laughs> <of probably> <laughs> <sincere> <laughs> now. but what happened to you, not what's wrong with you is an, a really important underlying concept, right? Like, because yeah. that's really going to help you identify what the goal is. What happened to them is going to help you figure out what needs to happen next to help them with some of that. Right. And again, they don't get to, you know, get away with being poorly behaved or away with stealing. What I am saying though, is that we need to figure out what the goal is behind whatever intervention we're using, whether that be prison, because that's an intervention. And what people don't understand is like, all of that's interventions. Those are consequences, but some are more punitive and punishment-driven, as opposed to learning and changing behavior-driven. And what do we want for society? What do we want it to look like? What do we need it to be, as far as different, so that we have a society we don't feel because all of this, like, oh well, I was spanked when I was a kid, and it, it, well, it's not been effective for most of our community. I'm just saying, most of the people okay. that I came into contact with, who were in the child welfare, who would tell you their parents beat them, or you know, most of them, not all of them um you know but that's that they had like if they got in trouble there were spankings or there were other things that happened to them right it was lack of consequences that helped them learn
1: well and that's i think another and this is something that you get deep into this conversation with the trauma-informed idea too because if you aren't understanding why Right, if you, if you don't dig into that our brain pathways are developed based on our experiences, negative or positive, and that influences how we think and feel and react, then the, uh, the response might be, well, that's just too touchy-feely, or that's mushy-gushy, you're letting them off. You're letting them yeah. off without consequence, right? But when you understand that if you address the brain development component of it, <laughs> we will be able to change behavior It shifts. And I think that's where we go. We go to our own. That's that's that hold ourselves, hold your own internal responses, because I will say from personal experience, I am 100 percent about learning how to do better as a parent, period, right? Growth always. And when I have to acknowledge that how I was raised may have not been the best, there's a small piece of me that says, no, I was fine. I'm great. Why do I have to go there?
0: Right, because there must be a problem with me or my, like wh- the way my parents did things. No, no one's blaming anyone. We're just saying there are advancements in knowledge and advancements in learning about brain development and human behavior, just like we have advancements in technology. And so, why not use what we know about the brain development and how trauma affects brains and how trauma affects behavior because of the brain and then come up with better solutions? For those problems, as opposed to just staying back in, well, it was fine for me. Why can't it be fine for you? You know? And I think that when we're looking at trauma informed, we also like we can get into systems that are pretty punitive to people who are not. Really, as capable of getting to places on time, or (laughs) it's true the timeliness, right? The timeliness is a huge punctuality, and I'm not saying we just do away with punctuality because otherwise we'll never get anything done in certain arenas. But we also have to understand that maybe there's a reason, and maybe we figure out what that reason is, and or build something in. For like, for example, your you know brother-in-law, you know the fact that he's so present is such a wonderful thing because it's really hard to find someone like that right it's really hard to find somebody who's not on their phone sometimes or even if they're present they're not as present right because they have their phone there they're doing you know three conversations at one time or they're thinking about what they want to say next like that is just a quality that is hard to find but then he has this other piece that people find less than helpful and that's he's late to things right so how do we help bridge that gap? Like, yeah, he probably can't be two hours late to work because other people are, need to get off to so go we'll be with their families and patients are gonna start to get you know bothered or not get the treatment they need or whatever the case might be, right? But how do we bridge? Like, And how do we help other people with some of the quality he has And then help him get to places in a little bit more timely fashion, right? Um, You know, one of the things we did with one of my friends who was like that was, um, and I don't think she was late for the same reasons, but I'm just (laughs) so we would just tell her that the time that she needed to come was that much time earlier, right? (laughs) Because totally true. Because then she would be a little bit, at least, she'd be closer to on time. That's but I think it's a good point. And so now I'm going to be mulling over, how do we help that? How do we, because we want him to be present. We don't want to like discourage that. And that's great. And the fact that he's empathetic as a nurse and understanding, and then like, so present, like, we don't want that to go away. We don't want to, you right. know, take that out of him, you know? I know.
1: So- I, you know, where's a starting place? If, tra- if the word trauma-informed care has been a buzzword that you've heard, whether it's because you attended a family child care provider training, whether you're a TK teacher in your whole school is doing the social-emotional kind of um, initiative, and you've heard this word, where do you go to? Um, I was, you know, two of my tops are WestEd's trauma-informed practices and also the Center for Optimal Brain Integration. Um, where, where do you go to? Where do
0: you look for? For support and and resources, Wendy. That's great, because they're both different than mine. Yeah, oh, okay. um, <laughs> which I think is awesome, right? And it and it comes from our different places, right? Like I have an MSW and you have a different degree. So I think it just comes from our different realms that we come together in. And yeah. then we have knowledge in both of those realms, but it's just what so I go to Samsha, is one of my very first ones, right? Because it's about, you know, it's the mental health um, Arena, and that's where I go to one of them, and then I also go to Aces Aware Connection um, because I'm connected to that. Um, you know, it's called Paces, and so
1: Aces Aware and and Paces both or separate. Or yes, yeah, they're separate,
0: separate, a little separate, yeah. But I go, you know, Paces is a good one for community forums, um, and it and it also has a multidisciplinary approach to it, which I appreciate because I like. I'm an input person. I don't know if I've said that before, but I like um, to get input from a variety of sources and a variety of people. And I like to do that before I formulate my own kind of decision about something. Um, You know, it's one of the top of my strength finders It's my very first strength. And, you know, we all know that that could also become a weakness, but we won't get into that conversation anyway. So I'm an input person. And so I really appreciate when I can get input from a, a place that a multidisciplinary place right because then you have a different vantage point from a variety of people um and then it comes together into kind of one kind of thought for you so i that's the reason why i use that one and obviously because of behavioral health i use samsha but i think it's just nice to have a variety of resources so you're you, you know i am familiar with both of those that you said and they are good they're very good resources for um and i think the nice thing about also having a specific resource like Um, you know, what you talked about WestEd specifically, um, is that they also then gear it toward your profession. So sometimes you wanna go to a very specified website for a resource because it's gonna help you more in your own profession knowing about how to, you know, kind of navigate it through that lens specifically. And then, you know, some of the other ones have like paces a little bit more of a variety. So you can understand it from a community kind of aspect or community support arena.
1: Absolutely, and I think then also from a very local perspective, you know, we recently in Tehama County wrapped up a planning grant with an ACEs Aware, and and how that connects to trauma informed practices. That what we were looking at is like how are we influencing and supporting toxic stress, and that's it, through yeah. both a screenings and our practice, right? And that practice piece, how we do it, that's that trauma informed piece. So. Um, if you are curious about local partners that are interested in that, I'd say you could look at both the Shasta, First 5 Shasta website as well as First 5 Tehama website to just kind of see the, the new, newest updates and um, some of that kind of recent work in that arena if you wanted to get connected with, with what's happening.
0: For sure. We both did an ACES Aware, a little bit different focus for them, um, but both very much around be being um, more trauma informed within our communities um, and having that lens when you're helping your community in any capacity, right? And so um, really fortunate for us to have that ACEs Aware information which is really supported by dr nadine burke harris couldn't not resist mentioning her if we're going to talk about trauma-informed right um but you know i think it's just important for overall communities to understand the linkages that we all have and that in every sector of our population there's trauma and knowing that it isn't just one particular group of people who's had trauma is important for us to recognize because sometimes I think people believe that trauma is only occurring in the lower socioeconomic status or in the indigenous population or in you know but it happens in all of the different populations now does different trauma happen definitely um do we need to address different you know, areas of our population differently? Yes. You know, we need to be acknowledging that there might be a different trauma lens from the indigenous population. We need to respect that there's a different lens to the fact that we had, you know, a variety of things happening to our community and that that layers, there's that scaffolding, you know, that happens when you have, you know, different things happening.
1: No, I think that that is, it's so important to acknowledge that trauma knows no boundaries. It knows no boundaries with gender, race, ethnicity, demographics, right? And we can also see patterns and understand how trauma affects brains by looking at community-based populations and and understanding how we can layer on those supports, right? So it we do have to understand it within a cultural context of your surroundings and not stereotype or believe that it is, you know, held there's some magic barrier and boundary that happens if you are of one of any particular category. So I think that's, it's a common misperception.
0: I agree. So when someone on the street asks you what's trauma informed, what's your like one sentence or two senses that you tell them?
1: Oh, let's see. What would I do if I was talking to my husband? I would say, well, it's really that, um, you know, when you're, so he's a physical therapist, my husband's a physical therapist. And if he were to ask me this, I would say, well, it's just kind of what you do when you're talking to your patient and you're wanting to better understand where they're coming from, that you're really listening and you're understanding their personal history so that then you can think about exactly what interventions might be supportive to them. But you're also really cautious not to dig in or ask any more questions before you have a relationship with them.
0: I love that. That's a great response. Yeah. I think that's now I'm going gonna go to home out.
1: and tell that to him. Thanks. Good. So.
0: You should have written it down. <laughs> Make him listen to the podcast. I do you right? <laughs> oh. Listen to this podcast. It, it sums it all up for you. No. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a it's a question that people ask, and they often say, "Well, what does trauma informed mean anyway?" You know, and you know, for my for me, it's similar, uh, not quite exactly, but you know, just knowing that someone's coming to your space and they have had their own history that could have had trauma involved and that they're going to react based on their own history and trauma to any given situation and, and responding in a respectful way back to them, because you don't know what they've been through and how they've been through it. And you don't really need to in that moment um, until you've developed that relationship and know that they may need support through different arenas. Right. And so I love that you, you, what you would say to your husband, because I think it does get to the crux of it. Like you, you, you know, you need to know enough to help them And, but you're not going to dig in um, until, you know, you have that relationship. And even as a social worker in child welfare, the first time I met somebody, I might be talking about what situation brought them to the office right then, but I didn't talk about their past history and all that yet. Right. Later on, after I'd built a little bit more rapport and relationship with them, I I needed to do that because I needed it to really make sure we formulated a case plan that fit for them. And it was a part of a court report. So, you know, but I didn't start off with that. That wasn't the first thing I entered the room asking, like, what has happened to you? Like that was not appropriate in that moment. That relationship. I think what you said is so key, that relationship building is going to be the crux. And we know that's true for so many things, like even beyond trauma informed. Right. A relationship is what's going to help any kind of situation, including business relationships, right? Like, so you really, that relationship is going to be the key to continued support for one another, continued work together, continued building of your community. That community capacity is so, in, you know, those relationships are so important in that.
1: Absolutely. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank yes. you for exploring kind of just the nuts and bolts and, and, and looking at what this means kind of across all contexts and, and job roles. I appreciate it.
0: Yes, thank you. I think it was important. I think it is a question that's at the top of people's minds most often because we do hear it more and more and more and hopefully we'll hear it more and more and more. Um, and I just really appreciate all the things that you've had to say today. So thank you.
1: You as well, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. We hope you go out and are a little bit more aware of what you're bringing to the table and what others are bringing to the table. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Check out our resources. Thank you for joining
1: us today. Remember to check out the links in the podcast or go to our websites www.firstfiveshasta.org or www.firstfivetehema.org for any additional information, resources, or needs.
0: You can also directly email either of us, Wendy at WDICKENS at FIRST5SHASTA.org, or Heidi at HMENDENHALL at f i r s 5 com.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and you'll join us again.
0: Remember, it only takes one person in a child's life to make the difference in building resiliency.
1: Will you be that person?